Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bow. And this week, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of Silent Hill 3 from Team Silent. The game serves as a direct sequel to the original Silent Hill, and Silent Hill 3 focuses on a new protagonist, Heather, a teenager who awakens in yet another nightmarish series of events tied to, you guessed it, the town of Silent Hill and the cultists who operate behind the scenes. So I'm pretty fortunate. Not two years ago, we got to celebrate Silent Hill 2's 20th anniversary. Mm. We had our buddy Matt Jordan on to chat about it, and now... I'm once again diving into a Silent Hill game for the first time, this time Silent Hill 3, to celebrate its 20th anniversary. Uh, so I'm feeling very, very spoiled this week yet again. Yeah, I mean, that's an indulgence, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, you know, it's the type of thing where I've come to both of these games a number of years, 20 years, in fact, mm. removed from the original release date. And it hasn't been the type of situation where I go back to it, I'm like, oh, you know, I can kind of appreciate this for why it was so notable when it was released, but it hasn't necessarily aged the best. And I'm not going to say both games have aged completely gracefully in all regards and more referencing, you know, the way they play perhaps, but overall, much like with Silent Hill 2 and now, of course, with Silent Hill 3, I find that these games hold up exceedingly well, not just because of what they were doing was new for the time or considered taboo for the time, but really the way in which it's able to handle not only its thematic elements, but also just the way that Team Silent was able to go a less traditional route and not be like, well, we're just going to follow up with James Sunderland again. But no, they're taking it back to the origins of the series. And I'm curious for you, like, how does that work for you 20 years later? The fact that they're tying this into the original game rather than going the kind of obvious route for a sequel. Yeah, I mean, I prefer it in some ways just because to me, that's always felt like the more Pro, you know, like the proper Silent Hill, you know, in terms of what I see it as. You know, it, it's two, as, as we've discussed before, is one of those strange things where it's like, I mean, it's much like another Konami game in Metal Gear Solid 3, where I would consider that and two, Silent Hill 2, like the pinnacle, the best of that era, you know, the, in those series. But they're not my favorites, you know, like that. And I think that's just because. You know, there are things about them that don't gel with me. And I think, you know, the darkness and griminess of one and three really does just sort of click with me better. And I don't know, probably because two has just ended up with so much baggage. You know, I think otherwise, you know, um, in terms of fandom, especially mm. that, yeah. And I don't, whenever I've, had, whenever I've been able to play some the original Silent Hill, it's been like, just nice. It doesn't feel like I'm doing it to be part of any sort of zeitgeist or talk about it in any way. It's just like I played this because I, I quite liked this back in the day and I'd like to play it again and that was it. Um, I mean, before we went on these ventures with 2 and 3, that, that was what I played the most you know, and most recently. So, yeah, it, it's always been the one that has stuck with me uh, after 3. So, yeah, getting this continuation um, and the way you get this continuation, I think, is really interesting. So yeah, I was um, very much on board for it on that sort of note. But yeah, it's also just its own thing in a lot of ways as well. Yeah, you know, that's what I was so pleased to find with Silent Hill 3 was that the way the game opens, you don't immediately dive into, again, what you would expect, which is, oh, we're mm-hmm. back in Silent Hill, right? The game takes its time in getting there much down the line. And I think that 
if anything, it serves as what I would view as being almost like a blueprint for making a Silent Hill sequel in that, okay, yes, eventually you're always going to end up in Silent Hill. But the fact of the matter is like you need to have these characters that you get to spend time sort of exploring in a way that the environments lend that sort of exploration aspect of getting to know them, having this gradual buildup, not immediately putting you right in the haunted house, uh, so to speak. But that's not to say, you know, when uh, Heather wakes up in the mall, that isn't a haunted house of sorts, but it's less familiar. Yeah. It's, it is paced in a way that we get to sort of like unlock these breadcrumbs almost about her, of who this character is, what their baggage is, what they're dealing with. And while I think the subject matter that this game deals with thematically might not be viewed as nearly as taboo as some of the subject matter in Silent Hill 2, mm. I think overall it makes for a sequel that is far more approachable for not only an introduction to a Silent Hill game, but is able to retain the relevancy to the lineage of Silent Hill, if you will. Um, it feels much more approachable, and I would almost go so far as to say, like, this game is probably more readily available than the original, but I would almost recommend this to people that want to get into Silent Hill that have never played it because it does in some ways feel like this is almost a prequel, right? It alludes yeah. to events that happened beforehand, but you know, me again, being a newcomer to Silent Hill, I didn't feel like I was playing catch up the entire time. Granted, I don't know that Silent Hill three has nearly as complex a story as two, but I would say it has a story that is very approachable, approachable, that's very personable for this character and understanding their connection to Silent Hill. And it goes about it with a arc that feels a little more in line with what you would expect of a sequel. Yeah. Right. Except at the same time, you know, the further you get into it, the more complex that narrative begins and the intricacies and whatnot begin to open up more and more of why this, you know, all the different connections that this has to the original. Um, so for me, I thought that, it, again, it was refreshing to get to explore these new environments that were exciting and maybe in some instances even more so than just wandering the streets of Silent Hill again, mm. which, you know, we're inevitably going to end up there in any Silent Hill game. So it was nice to front load this experience with something that was brand new. And in some instances, I would say, you know, is an improvement perhaps on some of the environments that were found in the previous games, not a one-to-one -one comparison per se, but just more complex environments, environments that add a little more variety to Silent Hill because so far, what do I associate with Silent Hill? Foggy streets, hospitals, a creepy school. <laughs> and in this, it was nice to get to explore some other environments that, again, I think Team Silent has shown over, I think it was like four years between all between Silent Hill 1 to get to Silent Hill 3. And in that time period, it shows the level of detail that they've been applying to these environments and making them feel a little more lived in, uh, yeah. if you will. Yeah, it does. And I think it's quite a bold choice to open it like they do and make sure that you're taken right out of what is comfortable in Silent yes. Hill while still being very Silent Hill. Um, I was sort of remarking to you before we started how coming back to it and been playing so many different modern games to sort of come to this game that just very abruptly, here it is, get on with it. I'm not going to give you any information to what you're doing. It was a bit of a jolt. You know, it's like, because it's been two years since I played a Silent Hill game. So it's tough. And uh, that one at least sort of, you know, gets you in gently in some regards. But this, yeah, it's more relentless. I mean, there are parallels to be drawn, I think, between 
Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 and uh, how Silent Hill 2 and 3 go right down to how you know 2 in both cases is like this pinnacle it's got all the structure it's the, the improvement on the first one and these are these technical ways and in these narrative ways maybe and then 3 comes along and it's like like you say it's the accessible version of that product you know it's the shorter sharper punchier one that is made so because there are underlying things to it that you know weren't meant to be you know they are much there's so much stuff in this game that you know by this franchise's early standards is stock standard you know it's like you know, there's lots of talk about you know you say basically dismissing many of the metaphors and meanings of this game saying nope we just there's no meaning behind this we just put it in there and it's uh, it the more you hear that the more you see it and feel it but at the same time its key connection is that it is connected to the first game yeah and heather's role in that and i think that's really what you take away from everything really the, so the stuff about you know what monsters mean or don't mean doesn't really matter as much with this one as a result and I think it's more just about the environment and the way the characters are. Well, I think that that's very fitting for the type of experience this is, right? This Silent Hill 3 does not have the same thematic depth to the degree that Silent Hill 2 did. And that's not to criticize the game for that. As you mentioned, it is a much shorter, but I would say in a lot of aspects, more refined mm. version of a Silent Hill experience. And to the degree that, you know, the story, I think, still has a good bit of complexity to it. And it does have some interesting thematics that tie it to other Silent Hill games. And, you know, I'll get stoned for this. As much as I enjoyed Silent Hill 2, there are moments of that experience where I was like, did this necessarily need to be like 10 hours long? I don't know about that. Some moments of that game maybe felt a bit stretched in terms of really nailing home certain points. And you know, that's a me thing, right? And yeah. I'm not taking away from the uh, the the wonderment, I suppose, that is Silent Hill 2 and how it's able to take all those complexities and tell a story that was years, maybe even uh, a decade ahead of its time, it seems. But I think overall with 6, it feels like it is playing more to the strengths of a sequel in the way that a sequel should, in that it has that connectivity tissue, but it's refined in more ways than one. While at the same time, again, coming back to that accessibility, which I keep coming to, to the degree that, as you mentioned, you know, there's more monsters in this than there were in the previous two games. Mm -hmm. If you're going to increase the types of monsters or the amount of monsters, they can't all have a thematic importance to them because, again, not all of the monsters did in the previous game. And that game, you know, had thematic elements coming out of its ears. And I think ultimately what makes Silent Hill 3 a standout in terms of being this sequel that is very approachable that feels more refined um, is largely the fact that it's able to condense a lot of that lineage mm. of the previous two games in a way that feels very bite-sized and it feels very immediate to the protagonist, the protagonist's connection to silent Hill and to the different arcs of those characters that you meet and whatnot, the weight of that, I suppose the weight of that significance really does come about to meet the pacing of how long that experience is. You know, I played this game in two days and it's the type of thing where I didn't feel that any particular section was dragged out to the degree that maybe some of the elements or some of the uh, environments of Silent Hill 2 were. Mm -hmm. Like I was remarking to you before we started recording, 
there's a lot of running around in the streets of Silent Hill too. <laughs> and in this, what I liked was these more bite-sized environments that felt more personable either to Heather, whether it was to the other characters that you meet, or even just in those kind of logs that you're reading through, right? I think particularly when you start revisiting some environments that you have in previous Silent Hill games, you know, some of those logs do a great deal or memos do a great deal of world building and characterization of characters that you might not ever even meet. Mm. And I like that some of those elements are not necessarily tied to Heather's, um, I suppose. I mean, it's all related to her arc in the story Silent Hill 3 is telling, but it feels like it is additional lore rather than something that if you don't read this one memo, you will be completely lost <laughs> in what's happening. I like that it adds a bit more flavor to the world, but that flavor is completely sort of optional, if you will. Yeah. Now, and there are two things I think that are very important to that whole what is thematic, what isn't um, with this is the comments that Ito made about this game being, you know, where he remarked about, you know, Town of Silent Hill can manifest things for itself. It doesn't just rely on what the person brings to it, which is important because, you know, in Silent Hill 2, that a lot is made of like, well, this is the manifestation of this, and this, 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 and this, and Pyramid Head is that. And it, that, yeah, that will make sense. But here, you know, it can just sort of take its own form. So you can sort of wash away a little bit of that. But also, I think a bit of it just comes down to having a younger character without the same baggage they, you know, because they don't realize the baggage they have, you know, um, in the same way. And they still haven't really had it in the same way. So I think there is that nature of it, you know, where Heather is very much dismissive and eerily, like, okay with a lot of the stuff that goes on, considering what it is. Um, yeah, and I think the other approach being you know, how we sort of get Silent Hill invading Heather's waking life, you know, before she even gets there, you know, with that intro is really smartly done. It really just um, shows a different way that Silent Hill can be. And I think wherever the sequel's gone and done things beyond this, I think the most interesting stuff has been when it's tried to change up what Silent Hill is and how it does stuff. And, you know, people don't like that necessarily because they want that perfect snapshot memory of what Silent Hill is. But it should change and shift and be different for everyone. Yeah, I was really pleased with changing up the protagonist and not carrying on with James Sunderland or even, you know, going back to Harry Mason, right? I think that having a protagonist that their understanding of the world becomes clearer the further into the game that you get in terms of why she reacts the way that she does to certain things. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was nice to have someone that was exploring Silent Hill in big air quotes for the first time. But at the same time, the player themselves are re-exploring the world of Silent Hill yeah. for the first time, for the first half of that experience. So that makes for a nice parallel that puts you on equal footing with the protagonist, whether or not you've played the first two games beforehand. And, you know, it is one of those things where I wish that I had played the games much sooner in sort of conjunction with when they were released. So that way you could see that evolution. But at the same time, having this experience that I have where it's like all these years removed – and just seeing how, you know, knowing the development of Silent Hill 3 and whatnot, which I'll comment on in a minute, like 
just seeing how well these pieces all fit together to make for an experience that is different sort of avenues of the psychological nightmare that is Silent Hill and all of these different things um, is really a wonder to behold, even all these years later. Um, you know, granted, this game originally started life as an on-rail shooter, yeah. which <laughs> wild, a wild origin. I only just learned that today. And if you told me that, uh, that, that before playing the game, I would have been like, uh, they thought they were going to do what? I guess that was a reaction to the slow sales of Silent Hill 2 in Japan at the time, which, to be fair, that game when it came out was unlike any other survival horror yeah, game I mean. uh, that had ever been released. So it was probably a tough pill to swallow for the first you know, few months because it's just like, wait, we're talking about what subject matter? You're having how much of a narrative involvement? All of this. It's like, are we watching a movie? Are we playing a game? And, you know, it's interesting to kind of like look back on hindsight and be like, man, like the way in which these games came out and fundamentally kind of reset the expectations for what survival horror games could do, not just from a gameplay standpoint, but from a narrative standpoint. Yeah. Um, and then ultimately, you know, learning that Silent Hill 3 then would be, you know, the length of this game is a result of that kind of difficult development cycle or that sort of almost restarting the project halfway through and then being developed in conjunction with Silent Hill for the room. Like, it's such a wild development cycle that the fact that this ended up being as refined and as polished yeah. and as, you know, um, I would say cohesive to the previous two games is like nothing short of amazing, <laughs> especially 20 years later, getting to go almost immediately from two into three for myself. Um, it's been this type of thing where it's just like, I mean, sure, they might not have known originally what they were going to do, but they sure as hell stuck that landing. Oh, yeah. And isn't it just odd to think that Silent Hill 4 was literally the year after this? Because it never feels like that in my head. Like that To feel that Resident Evil made the shift it did, I think, was a very big part of this series sort of problem and try to find its identity again because it was close enough to those games where people would kind of get lump them in together and but just two were so distant and then people were getting fed up with the fixed camera perspective thing from you know uh up to in Code Veronica. So it was a very strange sort of time for both of them uh, franchise wise. And yeah, changing things on the fly makes sense. That you know, we go, well, okay, we need to react to this, that, and the other. And I mean, it's a happy accident if it goes well. And I think it's not the only one. You know, Resident Evil did the same with Nemesis. You know, where it was going to be a side spin-off, and then it became the numbered sequel instead of Code Veronica. You know, curses to it for this day to this day because now that's how history treats those games. You know, it's like Code Veronica is the bastard stepchild and. Nemesis is the third entry in the series. That's it. And when you actually play them, they don't feel like it, you know. And there's actually a bit of that with this and the room, I think, where there is the room feels more like a Silent Hill game, you know, in in, in uh, its development cycle and everything else, and everything else it does. Whereas here, you can still sort of see bits of. The cracks underneath the paper and over, you know, where it's up, uh, where they sort of hodgepodge things together and made them work. And I think it's bloody amazing what they managed to do. You know, can, yeah. given the turnaround, you know, imagine doing that these days with the game, it would just be, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I think we've seen, 
in in recent times exactly what happens when you try to do that with uh, big games and any genre. They tend to not work the way they were supposed to. Well, that's the thing, right? When you're talking about the window with which the Silent Hill games were the first three were released in, or the first four rather, can you believe how well the third game turned out? Given that it was two years after, it almost sounds like a backhanded compliment. It's like, could you? I like usually I would have assumed this would have been mm. dog shit, but really, from almost every single standpoint, you can see the growth of Team Silent, right? Even though, yeah. as we know, development teams shift every couple of months or even years, right? In terms of what project focuses are shifting, or people are leaving teams or joining other teams and whatnot. And yet, this for me so far, I haven't played the room yet, but this feels like the most refined. Silent Hill game that I've played yet, not only from, you know, a graphical standpoint, not only from a gameplay standpoint, but something that I was really surprised at given the strength of two was the directorial strengthening of those cutscenes and of the story and how it's presented in Silent Hill three. I mean, part of Silent Hill two that I think we both really appreciated when we had that chat with Matt uh, in our anniversary episode was the fact that it has that swimmy, surreal, dreamlike nature and whatnot, which is very much the identity of two. How much of that was planned and how much of it was, you know, the awkwardness perhaps of some of the te- technical aspects of directing a cutscene or just, you know, some of the awkward line reads or bits of dialogue here and there. Who's to say? We don't need to break that down. But with Silent Hill 3, in terms of the cutscenes, you know, there is a very cinematic feel even more so that feels a little more purposeful. Yeah. It feels a little less swimmy. But in that, I think it speaks to why I found this to be so, so much more of a refined Silent Hill experience that really, granted, it's only like six hours long. I think it took me five and a half or something. Um, it feels much more refined in what it's trying to do in this new chapter of Silent Hill. Um, and I think that, if anything, it makes characters that maybe are not as, I suppose the same level of thematic turmoil, not to say that Heather doesn't have her fair share of turmoil uh, as this story goes on, but I think that it's able to get us on board with new characters and understand their plight and their investment in these situations much quicker because of the way that they're portrayed in those cutscenes. It feels more specific. It feels like their dialogue is a little sharper. There's a little less of the awkward nature, though, you know, there's a couple lines here and there that uh, give you pause. But I think overall, there's a lot less excess on interactions with characters and what characters have to say to the degree that it makes for a story that's not only more approachable, but is more to the point. Whereas in two, sometimes I found it to be a little long winded, kind of maybe indulgence in that swimmy nature a little more. Yeah. And I, in a way, it makes sense what they did too. But Heather as a protagonist is just so much more interesting because the way she reacts to things, she reacts like a teenager. There's a very flippant, whatever sort of attitude to so much of what she sees. And it's funny, you know, in this really silly, surreal way, you know, so much is talked about Silent Hill 2 and how much it resembles stuff that David Lynch has done. And, you know, to me, this week, you know, I'd, I'd watch Firewalk with me, and I feel like this is very much closer to what Lynch does in that Twin Peaks universe than Two does, because it knows when to be funny without like being like clown funny. It is just yes. 
you know, the way her reacts to things, the way how nonchalant she is to picking up weapons, it, it's a collision of things that's more jarring than it is in two, where you know James is just going along with it and just carrying on, and then it becomes very clear that he's ignoring something. It what's going on? Heather just seems oblivious, and that makes more sense as the story goes on, and it just treats everything as such. And I, I really did enjoy that because you could sort of look at everything in this sort of weird horror slash wonder, yeah, and go, this is actually more fucked up for how she's, the way she's addressing it, the way she's treating it. She's not just stone-faced zombie walking through it, nor is she reacting like your typical slasher final girl. You know, she is very much just still being herself, which is mad, you know, and given the backstory behind her and everything that goes on, that is especially wonderful. The places that game goes towards the end and the way she reacts to it is just superb. You know, I love that about it. I think as much as you can look at some bits of it and go, okay, it was just cobbled together to make a game. As a character, Heather is just probably, probably is my favourite protagonist of the entire series, I think, because she is just so human in a way that isn't very obvious where her, you know, oh, I'm a tortured soul thing, or you know, that, mm. that you get with the rest of them. And, yeah, you know, she's, yeah, that's it. She just addresses things in a way that makes it feel more effective as a result. I'm kind of stunned at how well her character is written, given, you know, the lack of female protagonists we had in early 2000s games, right? I think that considering the fact that a developer had a teenage girl as the protagonist and it was handled this well compared to, you know, I think there's plenty of other poor examples of yeah. female written characters I, I mean, in games. They, they made up for it with the outfit choices and the, the decision to give her a short skirt because it was sexy, uh, in air quotes. So, yeah, that, I mean... <laughs> to be fair, that wardrobe was handled better than uh, Ashley was in Resident Evil 4 in the original, yeah, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but it's just, I love that it was like, here we are making all this progress. And it's like, but can we make sure we do this and this and this, this, because we can't have a female protagonist it isn't a sexy girl that, that um, everyone's going to want to fall in love with. <laughs> it's like just that aspect of it. The fact that we've broken out of that mindset, thankfully, with uh, game dev is, a, you know, an indication of progress. <laughs> but I mean, in terms of just overall handling her character in the writing and the fact that she doesn't sort of, I suppose, become a caricature of yeah. what female characters in games were from that era. And the fact that, you know, her understanding of the world and whatnot, again, is paced so well with the player's own understanding and to the degree that I found that once you kind of hit that middle point where it's like, oh, okay, I'm starting to understand more and more of her connection to the world and whatnot, you know, it made me think about the first three hours of the game or two hours of the game at this point and just be like, oh, okay, now I want to revisit some of those interactions because I find that now what I'm informed with about her character would let me to appreciate perhaps those reactions that she had early on even more so. That opening chapter feels a lot more organic once you have this revelation about her character and all these different things. Whereas I think a lot of the time with protagonists in games, the first, you know, chunk of the game is all like reactionary, but with her character, 
there's more significance behind that, right? And sort yeah. of overall, you just get a better grasp of this character coming into their own in a way that feels more natural. Again, I think a big part of it has to do with just, again, the environments. You don't immediately start in Silent Hill, which I'll keep coming back to. And the fact that Team Silent had the wherewithal to be like, we're not going to give people exactly what they're expecting right out mm-hmm. of the gate to the degree that even if you're talking about the tones and style of two into three, the fact that we begin three with this dream sequence, right? And dreams are nothing new to Silent Hill. But then you don't have a lot of that sort of swimmy nature again that's so prevalent in two and three right out of the bat, right off the bat. Um, and I like the fact that, again, you get to explore these environments that a lot of people are familiar with, except they've been Silent Hill eyes, right? Yeah. I think going through a shopping mall for Horror Bites this week, spoiler, one of the games mm-hmm. is about a shopping mall. And I loved getting to go into this, especially after playing uh, Murder House, which the whole prologue to that is set in a shopping mall, yeah. not unlike this one. But then, again, I'm a sucker for the duality of the reality of Silent Hill protagonists and then the other world. And the fact that you get to retrace some of these environments or do backtracking. But then, of course, they've been like demonized almost. Um, And in this, getting to have new environments that felt fresh to Silent Hill that received that same level of treatment of the other world, um, I thought was a really fantastic sort of opening. How did you think uh, Silent Hill 3 handled sort of the the new bevy of environments you get to explore that are firsts for Silent Hill. Well, you know, I think first off, technically speaking, they are just really timeless. You know, I think so sharp, you know, even now, you know, just so distinct and that very little muddiness where you'd expect it, which, you know, even the remaster was not great. I think it, it still had that. And I don't know, they felt like places in a way, even though, you have a lot of the not making sense nature of uh, corridors and now there's lots of repetition, which uh, is very disarming and deliberate, but you know, it's there. Yeah. I I think what I like about it the most is how it casually flips between normal, normality and the other world, you know, without doing all the procession, um, to sort of show it off, it's more you know more striking than say in Silent Hill Two, where it just sort of gradually just happens to be there. But it really does just go to extremes from one place to the next. So I think there's the you know, going around the subway type, you know, area, and you now you literally go around one corridor, and then it's the bad stuff, then go down again, and it's not like that. And I love that back and forth sort of nature of it. Um, yeah, it's beautifully designed. I hate that it kind of does get as dark as it does in the other world because that, um, makes you kind of want to rush through it rather than trying to find a way because there's always something nearby, uh, in, in this game. Multiple uh, something. Yeah. I mean, literally you walk through the door from a nice area into the, the bad area and that radio is going crazy before you've even seen the screen. So, yeah, there is that side of it. But as environments go, they really do just do wonderful jobs of making it surreal when it needs to be, making it feel grounded when it needs to be, and just creating a very believable environment that is striking throughout, I think. Yeah, just wherever it goes, there is something about it that is, you know, strike for all the sins of, Silent Hill Revelations 3D, the film adaptation of this, 
you know, the fact that that beginning is the same you know, in so many ways and it's like, oh yeah. And I was actually taken aback. The game actually does start that same way. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is just, you know, it does that job so wonderfully of selling that environment as part of everything and making it normal in a way that I don't think other silent games have really managed. So yeah, that, I like that back and forth wonderfully done. I'm always surprised at how even-handed they are in the other world and the reality, right? It's a very difficult balance that if you lean too much in one direction, it's like, okay, I've been in reality, where's the other world and vice versa? Yeah. And in this, it seems just as I'm getting tired of an environment or I'm kind of like, okay, like this is another sort of abandoned corridor with 19,000 doors that are locked or the door handle is broken or mm. whatever. Um, it immediately flips the script. And then it's not only the layout of the world or the visual fidelity of the world changing or the art style of the world changing, but I know that in Silent Hill fashion, the puzzles are going to be reflective of the reality that they're in. And I think that that is that beautiful through line of just this ever revolving door almost of, you know, influences between the two different worlds and how that comes across in almost every single aspect of either gameplay, whether it's combat, whether it's environmental traversal, whether it's puzzles. And I think in this one, the puzzles being reflective of the world is done so to a degree that is mm -hmm. even more intricate and disturbing. And it's done so in a manner that it truly, you know, it is refreshing tried and true puzzle styles, I think, in a lot of ways. But it has that that demonic flair, if you will, of Silent Hill that makes them feel so wholly unique to Silent Hill's brand and the world itself. Um, and ultimately, you know, if we're going to be doing side by side comparisons, while I don't necessarily know, like from a logic standpoint, if I would be like, Oh, Silent Hill's got better puzzles than Resident Evil. But in terms of being on brand with Silent Hill's very unique and disturbing sort of Avenue of grungy horror, yeah. or that kind of horror that makes your stomach almost like do a backflip. Um, I love how, you know, there's a puzzle in this where it's like, oh, there's a body hanging upside down that's bleeding out. I found a plastic bag. What am I going to do? I'm going to fill that plastic bag with its blood. And that's a puzzle for an altar shrine or something <laughs> or other. And it's like, I love how all of the puzzles are so aggressive and so over the top, but they're so fitting in that world of Silent Hill. Um, and in terms of the environments overall, I love that, you know, you get to not only have more variety because, you know, who isn't a fan of more variety in terms of environments for a game, but I found that the environments themselves just had more personality, specifically, you know, the theme park, which is the penultimate chapter, yeah. I believe. And the fact that, you know, you visit that theme park in the opening moments of the game, but then you won't revisit it for a good chunk of time. And you get to, yes, run through one section of it that is familiar. It's a retrain. Yeah. But then that further exploration of the theme park has so much more depth to it. It has environments that feel like no matter if it's the reality or the otherworldly portrayal of the environment, it feels indicative of a theme park, but it is this like most hellish theme park you've ever been yeah. to. There's a haunted house that you get to go through, which is a great sequence that could have just been this sort of one-off environment, but there's like this great narration to it. There's a great sort of uh, chase sequence to it that's very fleeting. But again, it is switching things up in a way that feels surprising that feel exciting. And then at the same time, it's able to sort of give you that Silent Hill finish to an environment that you would be expecting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, 
I could gush all day about <laughs> uh, about the environments of Silent Hill 3 and whatnot. And I'm sure when we come back from a break, I might have a few more things to say. Who knows? That'll probably come <laughs> up. But we'll take a quick break and we'll chat more about what makes Silent Hill 3 such a standout sequel in Silent Hill series and as a sequel as a whole. And we are back from a break. And it, Neil, I'm curious. Now, I have not seen this film past the first maybe 10 or 15 minutes, and that would be Silent Hill Revelations 3D, which you mentioned a moment ago. Yeah. Um, I'm curious for my own interest, I suppose morbid curiosity would be a better way to put it. Uh, how faithful is that of an adaptation of Silent Hill 3? I can't imagine it would be extremely faithful, but I'm curious. I mean, on one level, it's probably got more of the characters from the game in it than the first film. Yeah. But it also does things that just don't make sense. Pyramid Head is in it, for instance, because sure. why not? Uh, I mean, it begins much the same way, as I said, you know, you had the, the fairground stuff, but that's just some weird stuff. I mean, Vincent Carter is played by Kit Harrington, yeah, a very young <laughs> Kit Harrington. Michael McDowell shows up for like five minutes as Leonard Wolf. You had, oh, you okay. had Carrie Ann Moss turn up as Claudia. Again, for like five seconds, you know, like that. It, it's, um, yeah, and then, you know, Sean Bean comes back for a little bit just because, and same with Ryder Mitchell. So there's aspects of it like that cool, but as a film, it's just a mess. You know, it really just doesn't quite do everything it's supposed to do. And I think the way it ends, I'm still not going to spoil it because I think you know, if you want to watch it, you want to watch it, but uh, that could tank the whole thing on its own. It's just it's ridiculously bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it just doesn't follow any of the continuity of the first. It gets stuck between trying to be an adaptation of Silent Hill 3 and a sequel to the last film. And as a result, it gets stuck in between where it's like, nah, we're going to fuck the continuity of what we did before <laughs> and we're not going to be a good you know, uh, Silent Hill 3 adaptation. So, yeah, I mean... It, those cameos aside, it's just not you know, worth it. Good for you know, Carrie Amos, McDowell, you know, Sean Bean, and I to get their little paychecks for this, but no. It's, uh, it is not the worst video game adaptation, I might add, I think. But when you compare it to the last Silent Hill film, which you know was for a long time like the benchmark for video game films, uh, and the more I look back at it, the more I think, God, we really did set that benchmark low. You know, as, as okay as that film was, it wasn't faithful, you know, in any way, shape, or form. So, yeah, but this somehow is worse for trying to tackle the one thing and then getting caught up in the baggage of what they messed up before, I suppose. And, yeah, it is what it is. But it is, I don't know, there's acting choices in this that you're just going, you, you want to applaud. They are just so bad. You know, the, 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 the I mean, Adelaide Clemens, who um, plays Heather in this, has been in a whole bunch of stuff over the years and done well with that. You know, she was in X-Men Origins of Wolverine. She was in The Great Gatsby. I don't know how she got those roles on this role, but that's because this is not, not good. Not good at all. Uh, to be fair, Wolverine was before this. So. But, yeah, it, it's... Yeah, it is not a patch on the first film. And um, though I do laugh that the last game to officially be adapted of the first three is 
Silent Hill 2, which they're doing for the next one, yet they've dragged Pyramid Head into both of them, the, the films before without meaning, you know, without having any meaning behind it, which I think is quite the most, probably the most faithful thing about this to Silent Hill 3 is like, here's a creature in this film that doesn't have any meaning or reason to be here, it's just here. That's it. So yeah, which yeah, is Silent Hill 3's whole thing with its monsters. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, you know, again, a testament to the sort of wherewithal the team Silent had with the third game is that they didn't continue with Pyramid Head, mm-hmm. right? And I think that while we, of course, know that Pyramid Head has become synonymous with Silent Hill and now it's like if you dare release a Silent Hill game without him, it just, you know, that that war banner gets uh, flown pretty high yes. from the fandom and whatnot. But coming back to my original point, right? So it doesn't make sense for Pyramid Head to be in Silent Hill 3 and thus he is not. Or it is not. And I think that, you know, again, it shows that while this game has more monsters and just because they don't have perhaps the same significance that a pyramid head does or the nurses had in two, I think that it's smart for them to not necessarily always apply some greater significance Mm -hmm. to every aspect of either the monsters or that even goes so far as to, you know, a location or puzzles or these things. I think sometimes... And maybe this is a reason why a lot of the Silent Hill sequels after four were kind of in this awkward gray space of trying to advance the series while also trying to pay homage to what made the series synonymous with uh, survival horror. Perhaps a big part of that is like, okay, how much significance are we going to give to certain elements in this game? And how many are just going to be there because it's a fucked up world and we're going to put fucked up monsters Mm -hmm. in it, right? Or fucked up environments or puzzles or people and whatnot. Um, and I think that three strikes a really nice balance between that, where you have certain characters, certain parts of the environment, locales and what have you that have greater significance. And then there's aspects of three that are just a video game. Yeah. You know what I mean? In that traditional sense where it's like we had this crazy idea for something that's going to be called like a super cancer monster or something like that, <laughs> uh, which is like the big blob yeah. guys that run at you, which – you know, there is not a greater significance to those monsters outside of they appear in the hospital, right? Yeah. So, yeah, the cancer thing, I understand. But I mean, in terms of Heather's sort of uh, greater significance to that yeah. relationship I mean, with that monster. That's where I think it's more about, like, fleeting thought, you know, like, uh, and the way Heather is, that makes sense. She just might, oh, she might associate that. that, and, uh, that so, so it's almost like a throwaway thought being manifested. Yeah, and yeah, Silent Hill just putting in the rest of the work, so to speak. Which I think is something that I've always appreciated about the monster design, and not always to bring it back to this, but to Resident Evil. Um, you know, there have been some of the, a lot of monsters in that series that, hey man, we had this idea for this fucked up creature. We're just going to run with it, and it ends up being this iconic creature that you know is a bio weapon or whatever. Yeah. But it doesn't have a greater significance to a character or to the greater story other than, you know, Umbrella is making monsters yeah. uh, or bioweapons. Um, and I think that Silent Hill 3 really flourishes in a way that, you know, maybe Silent Hill 2 didn't as much mm. because, you know, you're spending so much time thinking about how everything's related that I don't necessarily know if that always made for a fun game. It made for a great compelling narrative that I thought about far more than I do with traditional games but when I'm playing through three, I would think that I had a better time playing Silent Hill three from a game standpoint yeah. of just an enjoyment factor. Granted, 
<laughs> not the best way to uh, to bridge into what I want to bring up, which is the fact that I don't necessarily know that I love the combat of Silent mm-hmm. Hill up until this point in the series. I find that a majority of the time I've run through engagements rather than the sort of fisticuffs nature of melee or in ranged combat, yeah. mostly because I find Silent Hill to be brutally difficult at times compared to something like Resident Evil. And, you know, it's a funny contrast because Silent Hill has a fair share of open environments, but then very claustrophobic environments. But the environments themselves are never claustrophobic enough to the degree that I can't really just run past an enemy or sort of retreat and then come back, hide in a room, run back out into that hallway, and then make a beeline past them. I'm interested to see going into Silent Hill, the room, if the combat has improved at all, because for me, I always found it to be, I suppose, that's the most antiquated part of Silent Hill. If we're going to get into maybe aspects that have not aged as gracefully, and I don't know whether or not I would be willing to bet a lot of my issues with the combat has to do with that unruly camera. <laughs> that's still, if they ever make a remake of it, that would be the thing that I would want them to obviously pay the most attention to because yeah. I still find that camera to, you know, the way that it spins around to the degree you almost get like motion sickness at times when you go into a new environment. Um, I mean, in revisiting it, do you find something similar in terms of the gameplay? Yeah, I mean, that thing you're saying about the camera was like one of the reasons why coming back to that opening was so abrupt because it was like, whoa, okay, this camera's not doing a thing I remember from the old stuff and it's not doing a thing I remember from modern stuff. So it was very much a case of like, I really need to get my bearings here It'd be hard if you were coming into this for the first time and didn't really have that sort of foreknowledge of what it's going to handle like, because that would put you off big time. But such are the changes that can be undertaken in a series over just a year or two at at that stage, because games were put out so fast by today's comparison. So, yeah, there was that. But combat... (laughs) I don't know. Uh, With this... There's a need for it because they put more monsters in it, you know? But as you say, you don't really have to take on everything still. There are, there are instances. But it just feels like a hassle to do. It's like you get a lot more weapon choice here. <laughs> and most of the time you're like, why? Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, and again, maybe that's one of the leftovers from, you know, an arcade game, you know, where, where you know, naturally you would have to have more to do. You think you think the Morning Star was a leftover in an arcade yeah. game? Because I certainly, <laughs> I sure should do. <laughs> but doing that in the katana, yeah, I mean, Christ, it it's funny. And like I said, that kind of the good thing about it is it just feeds into this absurdism that is in there about how Heather mm. deals with things. It's like picks up, she yeah, just casually remarks how useful. And having a morning star would be, or a shotgun, or whatever. It's like, like oh, no, no reluctance, just like, yeah, this would be useful for that. And I love that. And I, to me, I suppose that speaks to who she is, really. Yeah, it makes sense that she would just be so casual about it. So at least there's some sort of reason behind it to me. You know I mean? that That's the best thing. It's not just where there's this gradual escalation in combat over game to game to game to game that Resident Evil had, you know, where, where free was like aliens to 
the alien of the, the last two games almost. And we, I mean, even Dead Space did that to a degree, though not as badly as I remembered when playing the remake. Where it's like, yeah, yeah, there is a lot of uh, a lot of shooting still in this. Yeah, there is a lot of combat, but um, now these games are very much always about the choice. It's like, yeah, we'll give you options, we'll give you this. Yeah, you can kill these things. They're not really that strong, that fast. You can outrun them. The, the, that choice is there. I like that. I mean, it's something Resident Evil kind of lost a bit, you know? I think even with the remakes, is uh, you can't really just avoid combat that often. You kind of have to because you know, zombies will block your way or monsters will block your way. And so, you know, so be it. That, that's the way it wants to go. So it may be a little sad to sort of go back to this and see that it was very much combat focused to begin with but once you get in that mindset of oh you know I could just do what I did before run around things and that is often just the better choice because you'd be wasting your time especially in that opening bit where you know spoilers do not play in daylight in a game that's dark <laughs> because um, <laughs> the Xbox did not uh, do it the best favours I found and uh, yeah, you'd just be shooting at nothing, really, because it, it just doesn't work. So just run, 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 and, that, and uh, be done with it. So yeah, it, it works fine as a game in having these combat changes. Um, when you have to deal in combat, especially, it works. My main complaint maybe just being that some of it just feels forced, I suppose, where it doesn't need to be yeah. there. You could say that for so many games. Yeah. I guess I suppose my main issue with the combat balancing in three is the fact that you're doing the players doing themselves a disservice if they are engaging in combat outside of boss fights, because you're going to get to some boss fights where you need an extraordinary mm. amount of ammo. To, and I think that that's the main thing for, you know, 75% of the bosses is the fact that you can't shoot them from the front. You have to shoot them from the back. And so it's the type of thing where it's like, Okay, so I have to have all this ammo to, you know, otherwise I'm basically going to show up and it's like the melee is my only option, which, as you know, in a survival horror game, you never want anything in arm's length away from you. Um, and I think that that was probably the other aspect of three that I was not in love with, which was the boss fights yeah. for the most part. The fact that, again, I'm contending with that camera that's very unruly at times. The fact that some of them are very, very reliant on you having adequate ammo that you've been basically building towards, uh, you know, you're always supposed to be conserving ammunition and resources in survival horror, obviously, but to a degree in Silent Hill that I think it almost feels like, oh, I should have been, I should have gone into this with a plan yeah. uh, more so just based on like building up to those boss fights, which are the sort of penultimate moments of a chapter. Um, but I guess in terms of like my experience so far with Silent Hill and going into three, I kind of just wanted a little bit more variety to the mo to the bosses themselves. I thought that the monsters, the general sort of enemies that you come across, had a great deal of environments or in terms of variety rather than uh, sort of in their designs and whatnot. Um, I was just a little underwhelmed with the bosses, especially that one. Uh, I think it was it was it Ashley or something on the merry-go-round. Yeah. 
Yeah, that one where it's basically like a carbon copy and then it's got these different weapons and that you have. And it was just like, all right, I'm fighting an apparition of myself. It's got the same weapons I do. I can only shoot it in the back. It was kind of like this just, just kept going and going and going. And I was like, considering I have to run between these horses and then get around it and then also dealing with the camera and try not to lose focus mm-hmm. on it. I was just like, this is kind of a lot and in a way that felt a little almost artificially difficult. Um, but I suppose inevitably we'll be getting a remake and maybe that'll be quelled. Who knows? Who knows? And, you know, that doppelganger thing at least gives us, you know, one of the best bits in the game, which is the mirror room, I think. Where, you know, you had yes. that whole slow, gradual, you know, you're forced to watch everything that's going on as it just changes in front of you and then suddenly your reflection isn't moving the same as you. And I, I think that's really well done. Yeah, so there's always an upside to every sort of little decision made, I think, when it goes wrong. Um, but yeah, the bosses generally beyond that field, a bit out of tune. And I think, um, again, just feeling slightly absurd. And sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. You know, we talked about the worm thing at the beginning. Uh, that's, um, you know, there. And it's a very striking um, boss, but still. You don't really see the point in it, really. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a point to it, but it's uh, yeah, I, I don't think they really go into it as much as they need to. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I suppose towards the end, when you get to that sort of end boss sort of time, uh, yeah, appearance wise, you know, it looks very interesting. You know, I think um, it's um. Very interesting uh, version of God, as, as they put it. But I still, I still feel like the fight is you know, going back to what we're talking about. The combat being, you know, a very at odds to what's going on. It just it feels like Evil Dead Two in 2013's Evil Dead. You know, it, it's um, a clash of styles, if you will, which yeah could work, but probably slightly misfires as a result. Yeah, and I think that that is the aspect of Silent Hill 3 that feels like it is operating in that gray area between tones and between pacing and between focuses overall Mm -hmm. is the combat, right? Like we've said, there's more boss fights, I believe, in this one than the previous game. And as we said, they don't feel like they necessarily justify their inclusion um, just based off of those interactions, whether it be their designs and whatnot. It feels like it kind of clashes with the direction of 3, but... I think that overall, when you're talking about a sequel to one of the most beloved games of all time and a sequel in a series that's synonymous with survival horror, overall, you know, I was blown away basically by this and just the fact that it's able to build upon the groundwork of the previous game while being a direct sequel to the first game from a narrative standpoint, but then having the refined nature that it does in almost every single aspect from a technical to a storytelling also to production value, as you mentioned, you know, those cutscenes. I think just in terms of the leap of the way that the story is told in this from the previous game to this, um, I was really quite taken with. And of course, you know, you have Akira Yakumo's um, music that returns. I mean, yeah, that's really good. Here. I mean, the, the, the vocal work as well is just excellent. You know, I think that that extra step in the soundtrack makes it better for me than the second one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So I, I was really into that. Um, what was the uh, name of the Oh yeah, the Mary Elizabeth Budlin, I think was uh, the person who did the vocals. Yeah, it, it really just does add something 
I think uh, an era where you know CD-based technology gave us more chance for that kind of stuff in games. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah quite special as a soundtrack goes. Well, I'm sure that this will not mark the end of our Silent Hill coverage for the year, as <laughs> the future for Silent yeah, Hill is uh, quite mean, bright. Yeah, and I'm sure with the not E3 period coming up, that we'll, we'll might see more of that. Um, We've got a whole bunch of the franchise we haven't covered yet, yeah. So, so yeah. more so than uh, Resident Evil, I think, at this point. So, yeah, whether we go towards the room or go back to the beginning or whatever, we will no doubt be uh, going there again. Yeah, and then at some point, I'm sure we'll do what we did for Resident Evil. And uh, once you are all caught up, we we can do <laughs> some ranking. <laughs> Gonna to have to take the summer to uh, to catch up on some of my back catalog of missions, but that's what summer's for, right? That's it. Getting to catch up on stuff that I uh, happen to be in this case twenty years <laughs> late to the party, but uh, it was a party that I was happy to show up to, nevertheless. Because as I think we've established, Silent Hill Three, fantastic sequel um, to a game that seemed like it was being surmountable mm. to do a follow up to that could do a ju- the series justice. And uh, yeah, whether we move forwards with the series or go back to where it all started. Uh, very excited to chat more about Silent Hill with you in the future. Um, but, you know, as always, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Until the next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. Follow our Horror Bites Twitter page at HorrorBites underscore SR. You can also send an email to SafeRoomPod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. You can also join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.